Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Genesis 28. Let's pray before we start. Our God, we address you most often as our Heavenly Father. And we come to you always in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, whom the Bible also calls our brother. What we're thankful for is that not only do we have through Him a relationship with you, you being the only perfect parent, but we depend upon you to reveal to us insights, give us tools and resources, how to live our lives most successfully with other people. And as we approach a very delicate and not very often discussed, at least from the pulpit, topic, though certainly an issue we deal with on a daily basis, help us, Lord, give us grace to understand, to grasp, and to put into practice principles that we find that are good and avoid practices that are bad. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody once noted that Adam and Eve were probably the happiest of all couples who ever lived because they never had (laughs) in-laws. You may have heard the one about the middle-aged man who went to his doctor for a physical checkup. And at the physical, the doctor said, You've got six months left to live. No joke. You need to get your house in order. You need to make funeral arrangements. You need to make your will or trust. You need to get all that intact. You have six months to live. I suggest you do that early on, and then you spend the rest of the time enjoying your life, what's left of it. Well, after this sunk in to the patient, the doctor finally asked the man, so what do you plan to do with the last six months of your life? The man said, I think I'm going to go live with my mother-in-law. The doctor said, really? Your mother-in-law? Of all people to live with, why would you live with her? And the patient said, because it's going to be the longest six months of my life. (laughs) Or you may have heard the one about the young husband who hated his mother-in-law. And he was walking on the beach one day and found a genie in a bottle. And the genie promised that he could have anything he wanted, but whatever he would wish for, knowing that he didn't like his mother-in-law, that the genie would give his mother-in-law twice that which he asked for. So the man said, okay, I want a billion dollars. Genie said, okay, but your mother-in-law is going to get two billion dollars. Okay, uh, I'd like an island off the coast of Greece. Okay, said the genie, but your mother-in-law is going to get two islands off the coast of Greece. So the man saw where this was going, and he thought long and hard about it, and he said to the genie, I'd like you to beat me half to death. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to move on from those jokes really quickly. I want to deal with a serious issue of in-laws that can be either a blessing or a curse in a relationship. You're either an in-law or you become an outlaw. On that serious note, here are some actual sentiments from people who have come in over the years for counseling. My sister-in-law drives me crazy. 
She's telling me how to raise my children. And she's single. Another one, when my father-in-law comes to dinner, all he can talk about is his work or what he reads in the newspaper. He never asks any details about our lives. He seems totally disconnected from us. Another gal writes, my husband's mother wants to tell me how to cook. I've cooked my own meals for five years before we were married. I think I know how to cook. I don't need her help. This is um, from parents now. Our son-in-law has essentially kidnapped our daughter. Since they got married, he refuses to let her come to our family events. I was reading a little article this week in the LA Times about a comedian on the West Coast, a gal, pretty famous, who was being sued by her mother-in-law because of all of the mother-in-law jokes this comedian was telling during her repertoire. I mean like every time she was on stage. Now, her mother-in-law lives in New York. She lives on the West Coast. And this went to court. Finally, a federal judge dismissed it out of court saying there are free speech laws. This gal can say anything she wants. But you can, you can understand the kind of tension that would be in that family. Not only do I have in-laws, and I have very good ones, by the way, I had to say that. No, I'm just kidding. I really did. I really do. I have good in-laws, a great father-in-law, a wonderful mother-in-law. Not only do I have in-laws, I am in-laws. And so uh, I'm very sensitive to how this works. I will say, though I have great in-laws, the first time I met my mother-in-law-to-be was two days before my wedding years ago in California. Never met her before. She was from Michigan. She came out for the wedding. And I'll never forget it. And here's why. She walked up to me, introduced herself. I'm Lenya's mother. Here's the second sentence out of her mouth. If you ever mistreat my daughter, I will break both of your legs. (laughs) She said it real calmly, but she wanted to get that point across. And the message was received. (laughs) Jay Adams, in his book, Solving Marriage Problems, writes, Perhaps the most difficult of all relationships to deal with is the in-law relationship. It's true that you marry the family. Unlike other situations, you simply can't avoid your in-laws. The problem is, in-laws can become outlaws. And you know what the difference is between an outlaw and an in-law, right? Outlaws are wanted. I'm letting that sink in a little bit. Um, All the way back, Genesis chapter 28 we have an example in the Old Testament and pretty early on in the text of Scripture as to how the the dynamic between a couple and in-laws can go south pretty quickly. Whereas last week we looked at one single verse of Scripture, today we look at several chapters and we're just going to take snippets from it. It's the story of Jacob and his wife Rachel. I say wife, that's what he thought he was getting. He actually got wives, plural, from it, if you know the story. Um, We're going to look at four roles. And they're mentioned in your worship folder this morning. The role of the parents, the role of God, the role of the in-laws, and the role of the children, or the couple in question. And so we begin in chapter 28 with the first role. This is the role of parents, to release their children's security. Look at verse 1. Then Isaac, 
28.1 Then Isaac called Jacob, that's his son, and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples. And give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So he sent Jacob away. And he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. The role of parents is this, to release their children And Isaac does for Jacob what every father ought to do, and that is to to release that child from the security of the home. You brought them up, but there comes a time where you release them. One of the greatest gifts parents can give their kids is the gift of freedom. This takes us back to one of the verses we began the series with, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason a man shall... Leave his father and mother and cleave or be joined into his wife and the two shall become one flesh. I don't know if you've ever examined that carefully, but don't you find it interesting that when God said you will leave and cleave, he said that to a couple, Adam and Eve, who'd never had parents, nor did they as yet have children. Imagine how that would sound. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. What is that? What is a father or mother? And be joined into his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Why did God say that to Adam and Eve, having neither parents nor children as of yet? For this reason. God knew that one day they would have children. That was part of the plan. And that they themselves would model what a marriage is to their kids, and should encourage those children to go out and establish families of their own. So, the role of parents to release their children's security. I've raised you, I love you, but now it's time for you to get out on your own. Now, having said that, I want to give some quick advice to both parents and to young couples. First of all, to parents. Every time you look at that child or children of yours, and no matter what age they're at, you need to at least from time to time have this thought, I am preparing them and me for the launch, for the release. You know, having kids is sort of like fishing, catch and release, catch and release. Because they're yours only temporarily, you have to release them. Psalm 127, remember what it says? Children are a heritage from the Lord. The New Living Translation says they're a gift. Children are a gift, and I'll add a temporary gift. Children have been lent to us by God. They're not yours, really. You're simply a steward of them, but they're not your personal property. They belong to God. So you are going to release them. Leaving and cleaving. Now, leaving doesn't mean deserting, nor does leaving imply that the children or children-in-law need to be disrespectful. doesn't mean that, of course. The idea means there must be at some point a shift of allegiance, an allegiance shift. That to that young man getting married, his mother is no longer the dominant female in his life, his wife is. And for that young girl getting married, 
Her father is no longer the dominant male in her life, but her husband is. No couple will ever reach full potential in marriage without this. So that's some advice to parents. Now advice to young couples. When it says you will leave your father and mother, leaving doesn't just mean move out of the house. Because you know what? You can move out of the house 3,000 miles away and still you haven't left your father and mother. I would even say your parents can be dead and you still haven't left father and mother in some cases. Some people just hold on to some things forever. There was a true story. A 65-year-old man who had been married 40 years heard his pastor give a message on in-laws years ago. Afterwards approached the pastor and said, Now I get it. Why I've had problems, why we've had problems in our marriage. All of these years, my wife has never ever left her father or her mother. Leaving simply means you are making your mate the most significant other person in your life. Now let me add to that advice a little bit. Make sure, young couple, that you are forging that leaving, cleaving, one flesh principle in front of your parents. How? Commend your mate in front of your mother and father. Extol his or her virtues. Talk about their good points. Never complain about your spouse in front of your parents. Never use negative language. Because that will make it difficult for your parents to ever love and respect your mate as they should. So you need to forge the leaving and the claving by what you say in front of them. Also, try to include your spouse in family conversations, your family conversations, your family activities. A spouse should never be left out when a family gathers together. In fact, you ought to make that clear to your parents and say, if you want one of us, you have to have both of us. It's a package deal. That's the one flesh part of it. So the role of parents to release their children's security. But now watch this. Go on in the text. We have the role of God mentioned in the same chapter. I take you down to verse 10. And God's role in the process is to direct His children's steps. Verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. He lay down in that place to sleep. This is before posturepedic pillows. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your fathers, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You will spread abroad to the west and the east, the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Well, these are perfect words for a guy who just left home to hear. He's out there wondering, what is my future going to be? My father told me to leave. I have left. What's going to happen now? 
Now he hears God give him this great promise. By the way, parents, when you release your children, this is what you are releasing them to. The providential care of Almighty God. You are saying to them, I have raised you, I have provided for you, but I am now turning you over to the care of your Heavenly Father that I've told you about your whole life. May He bless you. May He multiply you. You're not just saying, good luck. You're releasing them into God's care. So, God speaks to him and basically introduces his role to them. I'm going to be the one directing you. I'm going to be the one guiding you. This brings up the issue of priorities. Every couple who gets married needs to establish a grid of priorities. If you get this wrong, you get everything else wrong. And priorities begin. The first priority is that you become the right kind of spouse. Now listen to this. Most people are looking for the right spouse. You need to start thinking about being the right spouse. And that begins by you having a solid relationship with God. It's that priority. God is my first priority. And everything else comes after that. I'm surrendered to His will. I want what He wants. Now you'll notice, I kind of emphasize it as we read in verse 13 and 14. That God affirms His will for Jacob to get married and have kids. He uses the word descendants twice in those two verses. Well, you can't have descendants unless you get married and have kids. So God is simply giving to Jacob a priority grid. Here it is, Jacob. Me first, God first, your family second. Those are the priorities. That is God's role to direct your steps. It might sound a little simplistic, but typically when I do a wedding and uh, the bride is standing right here to my right, you'd be your left, groom is standing right here to my left. I, I paint a simple picture. The simpler the better, you remember it that way. I say picture your life as a triangle. You're in the bottom corner, ma'am. Sir, you're in the bottom corner over here. God is in the corner up on top. If you want to grow closer to each other, You discover that as you seek the Lord, seek the Lord, grow closer to the Lord, grow closer to the Lord, something happens, you are growing closer to each other. You are establishing a spiritual bond with each other that will not be quickly broken. That's the priority grid. We have a good example of this, not only here. We have a good example of this in the book of Ephesians, which we have been looking at in this series. Now don't turn there, just listen. Paul lays out the entire book of Ephesians with this grid that I'm talking about. Chapters 1 through 3, Paul addresses your relationship with God. You're seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. He's given you this, 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 and that. Three chapters of that. Your priority with God. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, the second half of the book, Paul is writing about your relationship with people. So he speaks about your relationship vertically, God, horizontally, humans. The fourth chapter is general. How to get along with people anywhere. Be humble, be loving. If you're a Christian, you see yourself as part of the body of Christ. But then he gets very specific in chapter 5, as we have seen. Chapter 5, he speaks about the husband-wife relationship first. Then in chapter 6, the parent-child relationship. Followed by the employer-employee relationship in the workplace. 
Now, that is a deliberate pattern by Paul, because he does that in Ephesians. He repeats that same pattern in the book of Colossians, and again in the book of 1 Timothy. So that is a deliberate, God-given pattern of priority living. Number one, God. Number two, your husband or wife. Number three, your children. Number four, everything else. Your vocation, your job, your hobbies, etc. That's God's pattern. If you don't keep this pattern, your whole life will get out of whack. If you don't keep this pattern, things like your job will start taking precedence over your family. If you don't keep this pattern, your in-laws might creep in and you give them a higher level than you have with your spouse. Or, or as is often the case, your children take a higher priority than your spouse. You know... I've counseled some women whose life is so consumed in having and raising children that when their kids leave the house, they lose purpose and meaning in life altogether. What happened at some point in their journey is they began to identify themselves as a mother, but not as a spouse, a wife and a mother. In fact, it's like they got married in order to become a mother and then forgot that other first relationship. So when the kids leave, they have nothing left. That has to be avoided. The priority grid, God first, spouse second, children third, vocation, avocation, everything else last. So, I'd sum it up this way. Be passionately in love with God. That's the best gift you can give to your spouse. Be passionately in love with your spouse. That's the best gift you can give to your children. And as you are passionately in love with your God and your spouse, that's the best message you can send to your in-laws. Okay, now the story takes a little bit of a turn here. Jacob has left his parents. He's had God's assurance. And now he's about to meet his future wife and father-in-law, Laban. Chapter 29. Go to verse 10. And it came to pass when... Jacob saw Rachel. It's like love at first sight. The daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brothers, that Jacob went near and rolled a stone from the well's mouth. Can you just picture this? He's going to show himself chivalrous, a caretaker. And watered the flock of Laban's mother's brother. So far, so good. It's love at first sight. He's showing himself strong. But the next verse I've always found a little weird. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Okay, am I the only one that thinks that's a little bit odd? Your first kiss. (laughs) She's thinking, is it the garlic I ate? What? I can't explain it. It's just something that I always found humorous. Brings us to the third role, the role of in-laws. And before we jump in, here's basically God's design for in-laws. In-laws are to be supportive. They are to support their children's mate. I would even say they should support their children's choices, which include their children's mate. That's the role. The role is never to be divisive, never to be manipulative, always to be supportive. I share that first because Laban does none of these things. He breaks every rule in the book. So let's look at chapter 29 at verse 18. 
Now, Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you. This is to Laban, her dad. I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Hmm. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. One of the most romantic verses in the scripture. Jacob said to Laban, except for seven years, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. He wants the wedding night. And Laban gathered together all the men of that place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Now listen to this. And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week and we will give you this one also. Notice how he refers to his daughter. We will give you this one also for the service with which you will serve with me yet another seven years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife. It's pretty clear that Laban has no regard for his daughter, and even less regard for his future son-in-law. Laban is in this thing for his own benefit and for his own financial gain. Okay. Now we need to fast forward 20 years from this point. They get married 20 years into the future. When Jacob has his own family, his own children, he has his own property. He's had a family business with his father-in-law, Laban. It's time for them to split company. So I take you to chapter 31. Just turn a couple pages there. Chapter 31, 20 years later. And listen as Laban reveals his true heart to his son-in-law. I take you over to verse 41. Jacob is speaking. Jacob says, Thus I have been in your house twenty years. I have served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages ten times. That does not mean a price increase or a wage increase. It's not like he got a, uh, a raise but it was lowered. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Jacob had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So they're getting into an argument. Okay, listen to, listen to father-in-law. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. He's referring to his grandchildren, Jacob, his son-in-law, kids. These are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters and to their children? Doesn't even include Jacob, which they have born. Can you see this man's heart? It's all about him. He sees it all as his. And in splitting with his son-in-law, he shares the truth about who he is. 
There was a wealthy businessman whose daughter married a young man. Now, the businessman, father-in-law, approaches his son-in-law and he says, You know, we, we love our daughter very much. And, and now that you're married to her, um, I'm going to make you a 50-50 partner in my business. Very, very lucrative business. So, you have 50% share in this business. The only thing you need to do is go to the factory every day and learn operations. The young man said, You know, I really hate factories. I can't take the noise. Father-in-law said, okay, then I need you to go to the office every day and at least learn some of the management of the operations in the factory. And the kid said, you know, I can't see myself stuck behind a desk all day. I'm not an office kind of a guy. So the father-in-law says, okay, so uh, we've got a problem here. Um, I've just offered you 50% in a lucrative business. You say you can't work in the factory, you won't work in the office. What am I going to do with you? The young man smiled and said, easy, you can buy me out. (laughs) Very shrewd young man and a very lazy young man. And that was not Jacob's problem at all. Jacob is a hard worker, as the text reveals. But that was his father-in-law's problem, who was using his son-in-law, Jacob, to get rich off of while he did all the work and he himself was lazy. That was a problem. I'm sure that Laban probably thought, like some dads do, there's not a a boy, there's not a man on this earth who's good enough for my daughter. Ever heard that before? He's ever said that before. Maybe he thought that. I heard about a girl who fell in love with a young man and brought her home to meet her father. Father couldn't stand the guy. Not good enough for my daughter. Worthless. Rejected. And would not give a blessing for their wedding. This didn't just happen one time, it happened three times. Three different young men brought home, father rejected all of them. Finally he said, i got to find somebody who's more like my father so my father will accept him. So finally she finds this guy who's so much like her father that he, he walks like her father, he talks like her father, even looks like her dad. Brings him home and says, surely my dad will approve of him. She brings him home, wouldn't you know it, her mother couldn't stand him. Lose, lose. This whole leave and cleave principle that we have been discussing didn't even enter into Laban's thinking. It was all about him, not them. Laban failed to understand that the husband-wife relationship must always take precedence over the child-parent relationship. Now what that means to us practically is that parents should always accept their child's mate as if that were their own child. You can't have different categories of love and respect. Well, this is my daughter, this is my son-in-law, this is my daughter-in-law, this is my... They're one flesh. It's the package deal. Laban didn't get that. By the way, rule of thumb in giving advice to your children when they're married. Don't do it. Unless they ask you for it. That's the rule of thumb. Well, you know, I've always... And let me tell you, don't even go there. Just... And if they ask you for it, then offer it. But don't offer it unless they ask for it. Otherwise, the in-laws become outlaws. Here's the fourth role, and we'll close with this. The role of children. We've seen the role of parents to release. The role of God to direct. 
the role of in-laws to support. Now here's the role of the couple getting married, the children. And that role is to honor. To honor their parents' significance and both sets of parents. Take you back to chapter 31, but look at the very first section of it. Go, Go back to 31 verse 1. It's a conversation between Jacob and his wife. Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has acquired this wealth. So there was a rumor going on that wasn't true about Jacob, that Jacob was using Laban to get rich off of, when actually Laban was using Jacob for that. But he hears the rumor. And Jacob, verse 2, saw the countenance, the facial expression of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers, to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock, and said to them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father, and yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. Look at verse 9. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Probably everything Jacob said was true. But to say that in this manner to his wives, the daughters of that man, his father-in-law Laban, may have been a mistake. The role of children is to honor their parents' collectively significance. Be careful, first of all, how you talk to your parents and parents-in-law. Be careful that when they're talking, you don't interrupt them, even if you disagree with them. Have the respect and honor to let them speak and finish without you interrupting or talking them down or giving them a jab. Also, be very careful what you say to your spouse about his or her parents. In the presence of your spouse. You want to make sure that you are honoring what you say to them. There was one uh, young husband who bought his mother-in-law for Christmas a cemetery plot. Yeah, that's that's a message in and of itself. And uh, the following year, he didn't buy her anything for Christmas. And uh, so the mother-in-law said, I noticed you didn't buy me anything for Christmas. And the young man said, you didn't use the gift I gave you last year. Not a good example. In fact, this whole episode of Jacob with his father-in-law is not a good example. It happens to be a true example, yet it is not the example we are to follow. Let me give you what I consider a good example of an in-law relationship. And it's out of one single verse. In Luke chapter 4, look at it later. Luke chapter 4, there's a a verse about Peter's mother-in-law. We don't usually think about Peter having a mother-in-law, but listen, it says when Jesus and the disciples came from the synagogue in Capernaum and they went to Peter's house, Peter's mother, who was living with them, stop right there, first of all. Peter has his mother-in-law living with them. Second, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And brings Jesus to the house to heal his mother-in-law. Not a lot of men would do that. 
It wouldn't say, Jesus, heal him. It might say, Jesus, just finish her off. <laughs> Mother-in-law is living with Peter. Peter wants her healed. That's honor and respect. That's a wonderful example as seen in the life of Peter. I'll add one more thing to the mix and we close. If you can, bring it down a notch. When you're around your in-laws, you might have the tendency to just tighten up. Uh-oh, here's, here's my mother-in-law, father-in-law. Hi. Really good to have you this month. If you can, try to bring it down and try to relax and even bring a little humor into a situation that would not change without it. I close with this. I found it kind of funny. Uh, Ann Landers received a true letter from a young man. Dear Ann Landers, my sister-in-law Janice telephones once or twice a week. When I say hello, she says, is Alice there? She never says one word to me, no recognition whatsoever. For 10 years, I've been a wonderful husband to this woman's sister and a loving son-in-law to her mother. My wife has asked Janice nicely to say hello to me, but Janice says she doesn't want to be bothered with formalities. So several weeks ago, I sent Janice a card with the following note. It said this, When someone who knows me in phones says neither hello or how are you, I feel as though that person is being intentionally insulting. I would consider it a gesture of goodwill if you would say, Hi Bill, how are you? from time to time. I will inform you immediately if Alice is not home or will go and get her if she is. Thank you. Janice responded to him with a note saying it would make her feel like a phony if she were to change her current behavior to something different. I'm at the end of my rope, writes this young man to Ann Landers. I cannot continue to ignore my sister-in-law's insulting behavior. Unless you tell me otherwise, I intend to hang up on her if she doesn't acknowledge me. Kindly give me your opinion of this bizarre situation signed, Battered Brother-in-Law in California. Anne writes back, Dear Battered, Janice has figured out how to get your goat, and you, like a fool, have fallen for it every time. Try a different approach. Next time Janice phones to talk to your wife, say, This is the butler. Madam Alice is entertaining the Queen of Romania. Who should I say is calling? Unless she is totally without a sense of humor, this should soften her up a bit. She's saying, try to add a little humor into a person's life who's just tight. Might backfire, but try it. <laughs> We've had 20 weeks of Keep Calm and Marry On. A couple more weeks, we're out of it. It's been my prayer every week for the marriages in this fellowship, that they grow deep and strong, and they forge tight bonds of communication and interrelation that will withstand the storms of time. I'm hoping that what we've learned so far, we've tackled some subjects that usually are not tackled in a marriage series because we, we are hoping to bring discussion about them and offer tools that can help all of us in our relationships. By God's grace, that has happened. Let's pray. Father, we... We thank you for um, the ability to look at the scripture and what your word says about uh, issues that we live with, we deal with. We're there all the time. Thank you, Lord, that 
we find a good example or a bad example. And we find principles behind it that help us in our lives with one another, with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.